But there's just a couple of things, kind of foundational planks, um, to begin the series, um, which will be guiding planks for us. So it's good for us to know those. So I'm just going to tell you those. So the first of these is we're going to be preaching the passage. So today's an introductory sermon, but the other three sermons will be wisdom and money, wisdom and sex, wisdom and discipline. Um, so we are going to be preaching not systematically across what all of Scripture says, like Jeff Rotten does with wonderful sermons and series. We're not going to be covering all of what the Bible says about sex uh, or money or discipline. We're going to be looking at what the passages um, say about it and obviously feeding little bits of Scripture into that um, to shape it. But that's what we're going to be primarily doing. Secondly, Proverbs is very often misunderstood and misused. People will often quote a proverb, an individual verse, and they'll claim it for themselves as a promise. If I do A, I'll get B. Proverbs doesn't work like that. Proverbs is supposed to be read holistically. It's supposed to be read as one entire book together. It's also supposed to be read holistically across the whole of Scripture, so we understand where it fits into the whole of God's Word. So we're not going to be preaching, and I would encourage you not to claim verses out of context as promises for your life. However, there is a guiding principle to Proverbs. And the guiding principle is that if you do what is wise, if you do what God commands, your life will generally be better. And that's a true principle. Your life will be better, your life will be more enriched if you do what God says. And this sermon, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 1. This sermon will set the path for all future sermons, for the free, not all of them, for this series. Um, <laughs> For the, the, the three upcoming sermons. And it sets out a path. We have a choice, and I think there should be a... I'll maybe move to the side. I don't know why there's little pizza bits and phones. I, I didn't know why they're on there. Um, but you get the general point. There's a sign saying you can go this way or that way, and an eagle, because I thought it was cool. Um, and that's what Proverbs presents us. Proverbs presents us a choice bet- between pursuing the path of wisdom... And holiness, or, <laughs> or pursuing a path of foolishness and sin. And today, we're going to be introducing that. What do those paths look like? But Proverbs 1, I'm going to really, it's going to be a, a, an exercise for you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, have them open. We're going to be turning. We're going to be looking back at verses, so please don't read it and then close it, because uh, we're going to be keep going back to them. Um, it will come up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible. But we're going to look at three things today from Proverbs 1. Proverbs is fantastic for one reason in particular. In the first six verses, it tells you what the whole purpose of the book is. So we're going to look at what is the purpose of Proverbs. Who is it for, importantly? Then secondly, we're going to look at, okay, so what does the path of wisdom look like? What does the path of foolishness look like? And I am hopeful that by the end of doing that, you will be utterly convinced that we all want to choose the path of wisdom. And we all want to walk along that. And we're going to see, because Proverbs brings out in such wonderful imagery, so we can see it clearly for us, why it's so much of a better path for us to walk. And then finally, once we're convinced that it's the better path to walk, we're going to be absolutely confused as to how we can walk it. But thankfully, we're going to look at what the fear of the Lord is. And the fear of the Lord is, if you like, the motto of Proverbs. It's how we walk the path of wisdom. And this is something we're going to keep returning through throughout the series, throughout the next three sermons. Which path are we going to choose on this topic? How are we going to introduce the fear of the Lord into our lives? How are we going to live that out so that we can walk that and make wise decisions? And the final thing I want to say before I read it, uh, the Proverbs 1 and pray, 
is I don't want there to be any misunderstanding at the start of this series. Proverbs is not self-help. It is not read what the wise path is, go home, do as much of it as you can, and suddenly you're doing better in life. It is absolutely God-centred, like all of his word. And we can only walk the path of wisdom when we are in close relationship with him. So I'm going to read Proverbs 1 to us. Um, There's going to be a few voices as I read it, so don't be alarmed. Um, And it's going to come up on the screen if you haven't got your Bible with you. Fantastic. I might move out of the way so you can see. Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behaviour, righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head, and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge. And did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. And be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely. And will be at ease from the dread of evil. Let's pray. Father God. We come humbly to you, saying we want to be those that listen. We want to be those that hear your voice. We want to be those that come to you from a position of weakness and a position of humility and say we want to walk this path of wisdom. We want to pursue you with everything we have. We want to be those that live our lives wisely. Help us to do that, I pray. Speak to us today for your word. Illuminate our hearts so that we might be able to walk this path of wisdom that we might have a bigger, larger vision of you. 
I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Great. So let's look straight, straight into the purpose of Proverbs. Simply stated in verse 2, the whole purpose of Proverbs, why it's written, what it's all about, is that the readers, that you and I, might know wisdom. That's it, that we might know wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is a combination of having knowledge, but not just being brainy and educated, but actually knowing how to, what to do with that knowledge, how to apply it to our lives. A lot of Proverbs, including Proverbs 1, is written by King Solomon. You might, might know King Solomon. He was David's son, followed him. You know, one of the best kings ever, David. What an intimidating path that must have been to come after David as his son and be the next king. He was asked by God to ask him for anything that he wanted. What did he ask him for in 1 Kings 3? He asked him for wisdom. And what was that? What was he asking for? What was the wisdom? The ability to discern between right and wrong. But also the ability to be able to govern well, to be able to apply what was right and wrong to the people that he ruled over. And there's this... Well, I don't know if it's comical or scary, but it's a funny story anyway. In 1 Kings 3, if you read the rest of it, where uh, it's very trauma, she starts traumatically. A, a lady, her son dies in, in, in his sleep, and she then replaces her child with another mother who has a, a child of a similar age, gives him, the, sadly, the dead child and, and takes the live child and hopes she just won't notice in the morning. Well, thankfully, she's a good mother, and she woke up and said, this isn't my child. What's happened here? So they end up before the king, before King Solomon, who's asked for wisdom, here is a live situation of exactly what he's asked for. He's got two women claiming to be the mother of this child. What does he do? Well, God gives him wisdom to decide that he's going to cut the baby in half and they can have half each, which wasn't a callous, horrible act, but actually it was a wise decision because the real mother cried out, don't cut my child, don't hurt my child. And that was how he reached the decision of who he knew the actual mother was. So we want to have, the purpose of Proverbs, we want to know wisdom. We want to have wisdom. But there's lots of interesting verbs that follow in the verses that come after verse 2. These are types of wisdom that we have. So the purpose is also that we might have these things, that we might excel in these things. So I encourage you, if you've got your Bible, go through this with me. Verse 2. That we might discern sayings and understand riddles. Verse 3, that we might receive instruction on wise behaviour, righteousness, justice and equity. Who doesn't want to act wisely? Who doesn't want to have more righteousness in their life? Who doesn't want to act justly? Who doesn't want to act in an equitable way? Verse 4, to give prudence, knowledge and discretion. Verse 5 and 6 are also about understanding. So I would say let our prayer be, as we, and we engage in this series wholeheartedly, let our prayer be that we not only know wisdom, but let it be that we grow in these things. And that that is a lifelong journey that carries on. Because that's what God's purposes are in writing Proverbs. And the encouragement is, it's for everyone. It is for everyone. I love this. I love this about scripture. That God often puts things in there that you don't think are necessary. Could have just said, this is for everyone. Or just assumed it's God's word, so of course it's for everyone. But he doesn't do that. In verse 4, he talks about the young. He gives a special section to the young. Now, this isn't just talking about the earthly young. I'm not sure at 29 if I can still include myself in that. But this is talking also about a spiritual young, spiritual immaturity. So if you've been a Christian a day, this is, this is talking about you as well. 
that wisdom is here for you. Wisdom is something that you are also to know. Verse 5 talks about the older, the wiser. Once again, those who have more life experience, but also those who've lived a life with Jesus longer. This is for you. Don't shut your ears and think, I've, I, I know a lot of it all. Because it says, the promise here in these verses is, is, is that there's more. There's more wisdom that can be acquired. It's a never-ending journey of knowing and growing. And indeed, it was Solomon, let's not forget, who was called one of the wisest kings ever, who's writing this. So there's always more for us to pursue. So if you're young, if you're old, if you're somewhere in the middle, my prayer for us is that we would know wisdom and that we would excel in all of these things. But you might ask a very valid question. Well, who decides what wisdom looks like? Who decides what wisdom is? What the knowledge is and how you apply it? I had an RE teacher in secondary school who she didn't assign to any religion. She said, I like to take wisdom from them all. So I take the wise parts of Buddha, I take the wise parts of Jesus, the wise parts of Muhammad, and you know, wherever she could dabble, she'd take a bit of wisdom from and have this kind of, I don't know, mix that was very interesting. But this is where the rest of this chapter is helpful because Proverbs is wonderful. It draws on imagery. It draws on specific pictures that we can envisage in our minds, which we're going to dwell in together, spend a little bit of time dwelling in together, so that it allows it to soak in. What are these two paths? What is the path of wisdom? And what is the path of foolishness? And let's be clear, unlike my RE teacher, she was a lovely lady, I don't want to knock her too much, but there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground here. You can't choose a, a middle road, like the picture that was up before, there's two paths. There's the path of wisdom and there's the path of foolishness. And Proverbs makes it very clear. We need to make a choice. Which path are we going to be going down? So let's look at the path of foolishness. We're going to look at three things that stand out about the path of foolishness. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is verse 10. Verse 10. So when talking about the path of foolishness, it talks about sin being enticing, doesn't it? Then you hear the words, it says... Come with us. Throw your lot in with us. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know why, but I have this kind of taken back to the Garden of Eden and the snake whispering. That's what I have. I have this kind of... It, the path of foolishness and of sin is, is secretive. It's sly. It's enticing. There's something about it that is, has to be quiet because it can't be loud because it's doing something wrong. It knows that, so it has to be quiet. It has to be covert. It has to be, to some degree, hidden. Just like it was in the garden with Adam and Eve. Eve, sorry. <laughs> the second thing... Yeah, I did say Adam and Eve. <laughs> the second thing is, did you notice how, sh how shockingly unjust and violent this path is? Just dwell on it for a moment. Verse 11... Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive. Verse 16. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. And verse 18. But they lie and wait for their own blood and they ambush themselves. This is a, a horrible path. This is a path of 
Injustice, where the innocent are mistreated, are wronged, are hurt. This is a path of violence. Surely not something that most of us want to be involved in. And finally, the final thing from this passage I want to pick out about the path of foolishness is in verse 31. You see, you only set out on a path, don't you? Because you want to get to where it's going. Unless you're like Duncan and you have a dog that runs back the other direction. It's a funny story, ask him about it after. But generally, we set out to go in the right direction because we want to get to the end, don't we? That's why we go down a path. Well, what's the path? What is the certain path ending for the path of foolishness? Verse 31 and verse 32. Sorry, uh, yeah, 32. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Verse 18, they ambush their own lives. Verse 19, so are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. The certainty, if you continue down a path of foolishness, is death. And once again, verse 31, there's just this imagery of Adam and Eve in the garden, isn't there? So they shall eat the fruit of their own way. If we choose, like they chose, to disobey God, to do what we want, to walk down our path rather than the path of wisdom, it's not only horrible from what we've seen from the previous two points, but it's also certain to lead in death. So why is this horrible path tempting for us then? Surely you're all running away, shaking your heads, looking at me saying, well, I'd never go down that path, Jason. Never. Well, there's a couple couple of really interesting things in this chapter which help us. One I'm not going to dwell on really at all because Duncan's doing wisdom and money. But do you notice when it talks about going down the violent path, verse 13 and 14, we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw your lot in with us, we should all have one purse. We can be tempted to go down the path of foolishness because of money, because of riches, because of wealth that we can gain. Duncan will talk more into that, I'm sure. But the one I want to dwell a little bit more on, the other reason we can be tempted to go down the path of foolishness, is because of friendship, because of companionship. Did you, did you sense that at all? Come with us, let us, let us, Throw your lot in with us. We will have one purse. We can be tempted to go down a path of foolishness because we have good friends. And part of our being part of that friendship group and our identity within that group can, can unfortunately be that we are also engaging in some of this foolishness that this path contains and the sin that it contains. And I know this was true for me when I was about 16, 17, going to college, I, I was part of a very cool group of friends called the Odd Bods. Um, you can tell in the name that, you know, we were a cool bunch. Um, I think really it was a rabble of four of us that didn't have any other friends. But No, we, we, were, we were dear friends. We had, we had a fantastic time together. We used to, you know, inseparable really. Not just at school, we used to do social things all together. And it was great. They were really great people. But what I found was that when I was with them, And this took a period of time. I was pursuing a path of foolishness. I was pursuing a path of sin. See, it wasn't because of anything they did in terms of telling me or forcing me to do anything. But in order for me to to find my identity, in order for me to fit in, to be one of the odd bods, 
I found my language changed. I found I was swearing. I found I was talking crudely about people. I was talking rudely and disrespectfully, judging people. I found that I was having relationships with girls that weren't holy, were sinful. You see, the allure of companionship and friendship had led me to go down that path. And I'm not sure I realised it until about a year together. So some responses we can have to the path of foolishness, which hopefully you're horrified by now, seeing the truth. First thing is, we can see the path for what it is. Let's identify the path for what it is. There might be short-term temptation and short-term gain, riches, friendship, but actually this is a path that will ultimately lead to death. It's very sobering when we think about it like that. But verse 15, verse 15 is not a verse to be taken lightly as a second response. My son, do not walk with the, in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. Don't even go near. Don't even go near. And I think this can have significant application for us in our lives. That when we can be tempted to go along the path of foolishness and we can be tempted to, to engage in sin, that we may need to cut some things off. Now that, for me, with the odd bods, led to me actually taking myself out of that friendship group for a while. And the cost of that was that it's never been restored. But actually, that was a dear cost because they were friends that I loved dearly. But actually, it allowed me to get back onto the path of wisdom. So I'm not going to give you any specifics, but across the series we may do. But something for you to think about. Action needs to be taken to make sure your foot doesn't even go near. It doesn't say have one foot in both camps. Don't even go near for the danger that it holds. Let's look at the second path, the path of wisdom. The path that allows me to do my Brian Blessed shout, which I love. Do you see the contrast in verse 20, 21? The voice of wisdom, the personification of it, it's loud, isn't it? Shouts in the streets. Shouts above all the noise. Why? Because unlike the path of foolishness, it doesn't need to whisper. It doesn't need to entice. Because the path of wisdom is pure, is righteous, is good. Second point, verse 24 Wisdom reaches out. I was reminded of Duncan's recent sermon when he talks about God's hand, hand being stretched out towards us. Wisdom reaches out to rescue us from foolishness, destructive, sinful behaviour. That is the cry of wisdom. That is the cry of this path that you might turn your back on that bad rottenness and instead pursue the treasure that he has for you. And then finally, verse 33, which I've spent lots of time on this week dwelling in so I think it's just a really really great verse but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil and I want to read to you Proverbs 3 24 to 26 which talks about a little bit more what is this security what is this fear from the dread of evil when you lie down you will not be afraid when you lie down your sleep will be sweet do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wickedness when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I love the rawness of the Bible. Do you notice it doesn't say that evil and wickedness won't come our way? It actually says it will. 
but there is hope. There is hope in the path of wisdom because we can have security. We can have freedom from the dread of evil. And why? What did it say in verse 26? I think it was three, because the Lord is our confidence. Now, as I was reading this and, and meditating on it, I just led to Psalm 23, where it depicts God as being our great shepherd that leads us. Where does he lead us through? By the green pastures, but he also leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, where we will face much evil and wickedness. He does that in love. That's what this path of wisdom does. It allows us to experience wickedness. It allows us to experience evil that might come against us, yet know that our good shepherd is leading us through, to have confidence in him. But this path also has an eternal security. See, the path of foolishness is eternal death, eternal separation from God. But when we walk the path of wisdom, we have the security of what is to come. We know Ephesians 2.20 says Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of the path of wisdom. Every step we take on the path of wisdom, Jesus is securely the foundation. So like Paul in Philippians, we can say, if we live, we live securely for Christ. And if we die, we go to heaven, which will be even better. That's what living a secure life is. That's what living at ease from the fear, the dread of evil is. I was reading about a Christian this week, a lady called Salome. She was the first Christian in her unnamed southeastern Asian village. She was threatened with much evil, physical threats, verbal threats. She was ostracised in her community. And many had left the faith up to this point because it became too much. But she stayed strong. But then they threatened Salome with culturally what is one of the worst things she could ever suffer. They said she would go without a proper burial, which would be shame upon her and her family for many years to come. To which she replied, I wish I'd met Salome, she seems a cracker. She replied, I'll go to heaven when I die, but you will be the ones who have trouble dealing with my dead body. (laughs) Obviously a sense of humour as well. But that's what it's like. And I know it's hard sometimes in a in our Western British society to really comprehend what it is like to to live a secure life free from the dread of evil. But that's it. I want to be like Salome. I want to be someone who is not swayed by the evil and the wickedness that might threaten me. And I know I I think I've shared before, but please um, bear with me. The COVID example. I think COVID for me and Temi was probably one of the most scary situations we've faced where you know evil and wickedness was at our doorstep we we could die our loved ones could die from this this pandemic but actually it was a period for us where we learned to live free from the dread of evil where we learned to put this into practice that God leads us by the hand as the good shepherd so that we can be secure and that we can also have great confidence and excitement for what is ahead So a response to this, see how much better and pure this path is. I encourage you, not just today, but in this week, please spend time reading through Proverbs 1 and just compare. It's what I did, I just went down with pen and paper and I just compared the difference between the paths. See how much better and pure this path is. And let's be those that seek to walk in this path rather than the path of foolishness.
All right, so we're on to our last point. So how do we follow the path of wisdom? So right, we, okay, hopefully you're now utterly convinced. I can see no one disputing it. So you're utterly convinced the path of wisdom is uh, the right path for us to go to. And you're correct. You, know, you don't want to argue with the Bible or me. Um, but how do we do this? How do we do this? Because, you know, clearly it's, it's hard, isn't it? We all know that we have done things. And as we go across this series, we will know that we have done things that are on the path of foolishness. So we don't walk perfectly the path of wisdom. Actually, there's only ever been one person who's walked the path of wisdom perfectly, and that was Jesus Christ. And he stands alone in that. But we're going to see that in what Proverbs, in what is largely a book about practical wisdom, things actually in our lives, topics like money, sex discipline, we're going to see that there is an underpinning doctrine here. There is a significant teaching for us. And this is the fear of the Lord. Verse 7 is cited as the beginning of wisdom. And then verse 29, it's cited as the fool's downfall because he didn't, he didn't choose. He didn't choose to fear the Lord. He walked away from that. We also see that it's not just in Proverbs in this chapter, Proverbs 9.10, Proverbs 15.33, Job 28, 28, Psalm 111, 10, and Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Fear of the Lord is always linked to wisdom, to obtaining, to having, and to growing in wisdom. So what is it? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, firstly, to fear the Lord speaks of a relationship. It speaks of a relationship that you and I have with God. And it speaks about an appropriate type of relationship that we have with God. And that the fearing of the Lord is the first and the controlling principle. So that is the first thing that allows us, and all wisdom flows and grows from this. So unless our relationship with God is correct and we fear him appropriately, then we aren't, gonna, we aren't ever going to have wisdom. We aren't ever going to know what it is. We aren't ever going to grow and excel in it. And the word for God used in Proverbs, is, is significant for us. And we sung it earlier on, actually, in the song. It's Yahweh. And why is it significant that Yahweh is used? We see the Proverbs isn't written in isolation. Proverbs is written in the backdrop of the Pentateuch, of the books that come before, Genesis, Exodus, etc. And this refers to an Old Testament name for God that speaks of a covenant, that speaks of a promise that he made with his people that he first made with the Israelites, but he has also now made with us who believe. And what does this covenant speak of? This covenant, put simply, is that God, the creator, created us. We sinned. We sinned against him. We forsook, forsook him for other gods. We put things in his place. But in his mercy and his grace... He redeemed us. And he not only redeemed us, but he promised to bless us as a people. You see, this covenant that we live out of if we know him, it reminds us our position before him. It reminds us what our relationship is with him. That he is the creator and we are the created. It reminds us that he is the redeemer and we are the redeemed. And that is absolutely essential for us to be able to live in an appropriate fear of the Lord. So I can hear you saying, come on, get to it, Jason. What's this fear of the Lord? 
Fear of God does not mean we are afraid of him. Anyone has ever preached to you, anyone ever implied that you need to have a fear of the Lord that makes you cower, that makes you fearful of the consequences of disobeying him, if you are a believer, then that is absolute nonsense. That is not what a fear of the Lord is that is mentioned in Proverbs and what we are talking about here. A fear refers to a reverence and an awe of God. It's an understanding, as I mentioned, of our position, of the role that we play and the role that God plays. And would you believe it? A fear of God is actually called a blessing. It is called a gift. We're going to turn to two, two bits now uh, of the Old Testament, which also speak actually into this gift and blessing and fear of the Lord. So I'm going to read firstly from Exodus, Exodus 20, 18 to 20. So this is the Ten Commandments. They've just been given the Ten Commandments, um, Moses and God's people. And this is how fear is described and the fear of the Lord. All the people perceived and f- perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. You see that? The fear of the Lord is a blessing from God to his people. It's a blessing that we remember the grace and the mercy which he has redeemed us with and by, so that actually we might, in those moments when we're tempted to walk off the path of wisdom and walk to the path of foolishness and sin, something within us as believers jerks and says, wait a minute, God has saved me by his grace and mercy so that I might live for him. Oh wait, I'm not going to do that really stupid thing. We're going to read one more. Jeremiah 32, 39 to 40. Thirty-two, thirty-nine to 40. I'll read this to us. And I will give them on one heart and one way, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. The fear of the Lord is a reverence and an awe for who he is in our lives. It is a blessing. It is a gift. And it has to be understood in the knowledge that God wants the best for our lives. You know, we were talking about this at the Alpha Away Day yesterday, which was great. God wants the best for our lives. He doesn't give us this good gift of a fear that's within us, of an awe and a reverence of who he is and what he's done for us, for any other reason other than we might not pick up the rubbish of sin, that we might not pick up the rubbish of the path of foolishness in our lives again. He also does it so that we might not walk away from him that we might stay true in our relationship with him. And there's two kinds mentioned in Proverbs. There's two kinds. There's verse 7, the beginning. 
So for all of us who believe, or if you are here today and you haven't yet done that, if there is a day when you come to believe, you will have a moment. You will have a moment where there is the beginning of wisdom in your life, which will be coming to accept what Jesus has done for you, that he took your punishment on the cross, rose up from the dead, so that you could have his righteousness instead of the punishment that you deserved. And that his covenant, his promise, his commitment to those that have put their faith in what Jesus has done is that he will love them, that he will bring them into heaven to have eternity with him. And that's a starting point. So you can't have wisdom. You can't have knowledge without that, without knowing the one who is knowledge, the one who is wisdom. But we also see in verse 19, there's a continuation here, isn't there? As we said, we all know that we step off the path. We don't live perfect lives that are always on the path of wisdom. We occasionally make bad decisions, sinful decisions. But that's great, because what do we do? Verse 29, we remember again the fear of the Lord that he's put in us. We remember how he's redeemed us. And we come back and we ask for forgiveness and we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us continue to walk in that path. And the fear of the Lord within us sobers us, wakes us up to that. And I've, you know, I've felt that in my life. I've felt the fear of the Lord in action. I might not have called it, oh, there goes the fear of the Lord again. But I felt it, you know. There's something within me that when, when I go to gossip, when I go to, to speak judgmentally about someone, to make an assumption, make a rude comment about someone, there's something sometimes in me that jolts and reminds me that I am a redeemed sinner who's now a saint, saved by grace and mercy. And suddenly, I wish it happened a lot more, to be honest, because <laughs> I'd saved myself looking like an idiot a lot more. But, but we need that. We need that. So there are some responses to this. If you have never done this, if you never come to a position of saying, God, I am aware of my position before you. I'm aware of the position my sin put me in, and I need you as my personal saviour and my Lord. And I accept what Jesus has done for me on the cross and rising up from the dead so that I could be in relationship with you. Then I encourage you to do that today. Because that is the path of wisdom. That is the path of knowledge. And you won't do anything better. I encourage you to confess your sin. Don't leave, don't leave here today feeling, oh, I feel, I feel really bad because... I know I've done more on the kind of path of foolishness and sin side this week than I have done on the path of wisdom. God's grace, God's grace covers it all. But don't leave today without confessing it, that sin. Don't leave today without rejoicing in the forgiveness of God and the second part of repentance, which is turning away from that towards him. And finally, choose to delight in the blessing of the fear of the Lord today. Choose to grapple with these scriptures, if you haven't fully understood today, to a so you come to a place where you see the fear of the Lord is a blessing and a gift from God. And it is not only what allows us to obtain wisdom and to grow in it and to excel in it, but it is something that helps keep us on the path of wisdom. So we're going to go full circle at the start talks about don't we want wisdom don't we want to live wise lives don't we want to live 
lives that experience and you know wise behavior of course we do well let's do that by living out a correct fear of god in our lives an understanding of it but also an application of it in our lives so let's stand i want to pray for us Father God, I thank you that for those who are your children, for those who have accepted you, we need not fear you in an inappropriate way. We need not fear the consequences of death. We need not fear the consequences of upsetting you. But I thank you that you have given us the most amazing gift of the fear of the Lord that sits within us, that is lodged in us because of the covenant that we have come into that helps us remember our place before you that you are the creator we are the created you are the redeemer we are the redeemed and i pray for my brothers and sisters i pray that in this and myself in this week and these months ahead we would come back to this we would come back to this this precious gift and blessing that would help us to walk the path of wisdom that would help us to walk the path with you as our shepherd leading us on through the good times and through the evil and the wickedness that we will experience. I thank you so much. Thank you so much for this precious gift. I thank you that you love us. Thank you that you lavish this upon us as a good gift. Help us to grow in, in our knowledge of this and in our relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.